You're listening to Just Another Fanboy Presents The Death of Superman, and this is episode number nine, Funeral Day. Hello and welcome to Just Another Fanboy Presents. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and today we drop into week number nine of the Death of Superman epic crossover event with Superman Man of Steel issue number 20, which was released this week, 30 years ago, on December 15th, 1992. It had a cover price of $1.25, and the title of this issue is Funeral Day. It was written by Louise Simonson, penciled by John Bogdanov, inks by Dennis Janke, letters by Bill Oakley, and the colorist was Glenn Whitmore. So before we get into the issue itself, I want to talk about the cover for just a moment. The cover of this issue uh, features, as all of these issues during the funeral for a friend arc of this storyline, all of these issues are bordered, uh, the, the cover, I should say, are, are bordered in black. And at the top, it shows Funeral for a Friend number three. Now, the cover features a number of heroes standing around the plaque that they have put in the ground in front of the Daily Planet where Superman died. It says, in memoriam, Superman killed on this spot while defending the city. And these heroes are standing around and and, uh, looking down at it and feeling sad and uh, you have uh, Batman and Robin in the background. They're not with the other heroes. They're actually uh, uh, watching from afar. And uh, I kind of enjoy that touch because it, it does reflect a little something that we're going to see in the issue. But the main reason I bring it up, and I'm going to talk about this again later uh, in this episode, it just reminds me because we've got Aquaman and Captain Marvel. You know him as Shazam these days. Uh, you have Wonder Woman, uh, Supergirl, Flash, Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, and a couple others. But as I'm I'm sitting here looking at, for example, Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman and Aquaman and Green Lantern. The first three are, of course, big powerhouses. They're super strong, uh, almost as strong as Superman. But together, the three of them would easily equal a Superman. And I'm just reminded very bitterly about the fact that none of them came to Superman's aid as he was being pummeled to death by Doomsday. And again, I'll, I, again, I'll talk about this a little bit more when we get into the episode. So as normal, I'm going to give you a synopsis of the issue, and then I will talk about my thoughts, uh, little moments in the issue that uh, stood out for me and the art and various pieces of information like that. And As always, uh, I have got the synopsis from DCFandom.com, but once again, as I did last week, uh, I kind of went through and rewrote a big chunk of it. So today's synopsis comes from DCFandom.com as edited by me. Ready? Here we go. The issue opens with crews out on the streets of Metropolis as they work to cart away the debris and rubble from Doomsday's rampage and the battle with Superman. They lament over the fact that things aren't going to be the same without Superman around. Meanwhile, as Lex Luthor II tries to get everything set up for Superman's funeral, he learns that the statue of Superman can't be brought into Centennial Park due to the rubble That's blocking the roads. And so Supergirl offers to fly it in herself. In Smallville, Martha Kent, 
who can't make herself stop watching the constant television news coverage of the tragedy, wishes that she could be in Metropolis to watch them bury their son. But Jonathan reminds her that they can't. At the Daily Planet, Jimmy tries to brush off his co-workers' suggestions that he cash in on the stardom that his death photo of Superman has brought. While Lois still can't will herself to call Martha and Jonathan. Harry asks if she wants to go to the burial in his stead, but Lois declines. Heading for the roof of the Daily Planet, Lois wishes Clark would show up and that all of this was just a dream. It's as she hears the funeral procession below that she races back down to street level to be there when Clark passes, tripping over the plaque in the ground that marks the spot where he died. Jimmy finds her and brings her into the crowd as the procession passes by, made up of groups of heroes such as the Justice League, the Justice Society, the Titans, the Forever People, and more. They march along following the horse and cart that carries Clark, Superman, toward the crypt in Centennial Park. And as they march, various people recount what Superman did for them, saving them from various disasters and villains. As the procession passes by, the crowd, moving as one, begins to follow. Meanwhile, in space, Lobo, upon hearing the news of Superman's demise, freaks out, killing a number of patrons at a space bar only because, as Lobo himself puts it, I didn't get a piece of him. In the meantime, as the funeral procession passes an orphanage, one of the children remembers the time Superman saved his cat from a tree and saved him from Cerberus. When he catches another kid being bullied by that kid's older brother, he invites the kid over and offers his cat to comfort him. Elsewhere in the crowd, a terrorist attempts to kill an oppressive president attending the funeral with the other world leaders, but Batman intercepts him and threatens to drop him off the side of a building. But because this is Superman City, he's going to play by Superman's rules, and he leaves the man hanging from a lamppost begging to be arrested. On the rooftops and in the sewers, Professor Hamilton and the citizens of Underworld mourn Superman in their own way. Outside the Ace of Clubs, Bibbo catches a man trying to profit from Superman's death by selling memorabilia, and Bibbo nearly flips. But the man tells Bibbo that even though Superman saved him and his family from a burning building, they are now homeless and living on the streets and that this is the only way for him to try and earn a little money. Bibbo immediately buys everything the man is selling and then offers him a job at the Ace of Clubs because, after all, that's what Superman would have done in his place. At Centennial Park, Lois and Jimmy are separated, and Lois runs into Rex Leach and two of his goons. Leach wants Jimmy to sign over the international licensing rights to his Superman death photo so that Leach can really cash in. But Jimmy refuses, punching Leech. The two goons produce a pair of handguns and are about to unload on Jimmy when Robin gets the drop on them, literally dropping on top of them. The commotion, happening as it is in the middle of a tightly packed crowd of already emotional mourners, causes a fight to start that escalates rather quickly, forcing heroes like Green Lantern and Wonder Woman to step in and break it up. Meanwhile, in Smallville, Martha can only watch the news coverage in horror as everything around her son's funeral erupts into chaos, forcing Jonathan to step in 
and suggests that they turn off the TV so that they can say goodbye to their son in their own way. Back at the funeral, the president and the first lady, Bill and Hillary Clinton, say a few words, sending their thoughts and prayers to Superman's loved ones, whomever they may be. Their words give Lois the courage to find a payphone and call Jonathan and Martha. And yet, there is no answer. Lois, however, does not give up and continues to try. In the meantime, Jonathan and Martha have taken a box containing the few mementos of Clark's childhood out into the field where the rocket that had carried Clark as baby Kal-El had come crashing down to Earth, and they bury the box in the very same crater that the crash had left behind. Afterward, they arrive back at home to a ringing phone, answering to hear Lois Lane on the other end. Lois apologizes for not calling sooner and for not being able to help Clark. She was right there when he died, but she couldn't do anything to save him. Jonathan tells Lois that it's not her fault, and Martha tells her to hold on, that the two of them are coming to her in Metropolis. And that is how the issue ends. So my thoughts going through this issue, uh, first and foremost, are the, uh, the, well, is the artwork by John McDonough. There's a couple of panels here that I really quite enjoy. Um, I'm a big fan of his art. I think the last time I commented on his art, back when we talked about, uh, it was either issue 18 or 19, uh, I talked about how he has a very stylized look. It's very reminiscent of a Todd McFarlane, and yet still somewhat rooted in the classic house style that you would see in the, the 70s and 80s. But there were a couple of things in this issue that really stood out to me in regard to uh, the, the, the McFarlane comparison. And one was just a, a page or two in the way he draws Lex Luthor II, who, like I have mentioned, is a clone of Lex Luthor uh, posing as Lex Luthor's son. He's got long and flowing red hair. And depending on which artist across these four books, uh, depending on how they depict Luther uh, depends on how long his hair is. For example, Tom Grummet gives him hair that just barely makes it down to his shoulders. Uh, John Bigdonov gives him very long, thick, big, flowing hair. And it reminds me a lot of the way Todd McFarland would have drawn Mary Jane with her big head of red hair. And then there's the moment. In the issue, when Lois steps out onto the roof of the Daily Planet and she's standing there on that ring that goes around the giant planet on top of the Daily Planet, and it's raining and it's very windy, and her coat is billowing in the wind, and it is very, very reminiscent of the way Todd McFarlane used to draw, uh, well, Batman's cape when he did, I think it was Batman Year Two that he did a few issues on. Uh, but especially Spawn's cape. I mean, it's just, there's obviously more fabric here than really needs to be necessary for this coat. I just, I'm looking at it and I can't imagine how she gets around with a coat this long and billowing under normal circumstances. And I'll tell you the truth here, folks. I love it. I love the way it looks. I've always loved this look when they just go freaking off the wall with capes and cloaks and whatnot when they're blowing in the wind and make them way longer than, than they really are and make them impossibly long and flowing. And there's just something about it I really, really like. 
And speaking of this scene where Lois goes out to to stand on the roof where, you know, she's wishing that Clark would just show up. Um, you know, again, Lois, like Jonathan and Martha, have to pretend in front of everybody else that much of her sadness comes from the fact that Clark is missing and that she's afraid that they'll never find him. When in fact, we all know that Clark is Superman and that he's dead. Lois knows he's dead. Jonathan and Martha know he's dead, but they still, they cannot let the secret out for fear of Superman's enemies taking vengeance upon Superman's surviving loved ones. And so they have to uh, pretend that their grief is, you know, wow. Yes, Lois is sad that Superman died, but really it's all about Clark. And there's a moment here as she's stepping out of the Daily Planet office building. There's a guy that works with him whose name is Dan. I don't know Dan. I don't know if he's a reoccurring character. I don't know if he has shown up anywhere else in these stories or in any of these Superman books before. I don't know if this is his his first appearance, but... This is uh, how I was introduced to the character of Dan, who only shows up in one panel in this issue. And literally, we see him uh, like a quarter, a quarter of his face from the side. And as Lois is walking away, uh, Perry has has come to Lois and to try to comfort her and to offer her his place at the burial because uh, Luther makes it very clear at the beginning. He's on the phone trying to make arrangements and you know, all the world leaders have been invited and he makes this uh, concession to make room uh, for Perry White. But that's it. World leaders and Perry White, nobody else. And uh, Perry is he uh, he feels that Lois was closer to Superman than than really anybody else, that when it comes to Superman's friends, she was the closest. And so that she should be there instead of him. But she she. uh she turns him down, saying that she doesn't think she can bear it. She looks at the phone for a moment because she's struggling at this point with whether or not she's going to call Jonathan and Martha. She knows she should, but there's something that's holding her back. And, and we, we learn what that is at the end of the issue, but um, it's guilt. Uh, she cannot bear the thought of facing Jonathan and Martha, even if facing them is, is done over the phone. She just, she feels somewhat responsible for Clark's death uh, because she was there and she couldn't do anything to save him. And she's afraid that Jonathan and Martha are going to be angry at her. So as she's trying to deal with all of that, she gets up and, and leaves the, the, the room. And he, this is when uh, Dan, who is with two women watching her exit the room, he says, what's Lane's problem? And one of the women says, it's not just Superman she's upset about, Dan. She's engaged to Clark Kent, and he's still missing. She seems to be taking it pretty hard. And Dan's response is, yeah, but she didn't have to act like he was the last man in the universe. So Dan's a jerk. We don't like Dan. Again, I don't know if he ever shows up ever again in any Superman story or if he showed up at any point before. But uh, Dan's kind of a kind of an a-hole, obviously. We then get to the funeral. There's a, a two-page spread, the, the, the title area of the book. Two-page spread of a very elegant horse and cart with a man in a, a long, dark coat and a very tall top hat driving this hor- horse. Uh, it's two horses and a cart. It's 
an open air cart. It's got the the coffin in the back with a uh, American flag draped over it, and it's got the Superman shield on the side of the cart. And then directly behind the cart are a number of heroes. We see Wonder Woman and Green Lantern and Green Arrow and the Flash. We don't see Captain Marvel. I'm looking. I don't see Captain Marvel in this shot, even though he was on the cover. But again, all this does is make me feel bitter toward all the heroes that seem to have been able to make it to Superman's funeral, but were not able to help Superman when he needed it. And I just have to wonder, uh, because I wasn't really up to date on what was going on at the time when I was reading this, um, I've heard, for example, just recently on another podcast, uh, I think it was Superman Lives, talking about this this time, uh, the death of Superman. And I think the host there mentioned that Hal Jordan was off planet at the time. So obviously he's back. But the others, uh, I, I don't know. Were they unavailable? Were they not able to arrive in time? Or were they just like everybody else? Did they just assume that Superman could handle it? And therefore didn't really consider it a priority. Didn't feel like they needed to step in and help because it's Superman, right? And I don't recall if they address that at any point in this story, but I'd be really interested if they did. I feel like that is something that that they do need to address. Now, I think, again, it was the host of Superman Lives that talked about the Justice League being included in this uh, crossover event. And that one of the reasons were was because uh, Superman was on the team at the time and that Dan Jurgens was writing and drawing both Justice League and the Superman book, but that also they were there to, in essence, represent the other heroes of the, the, the DC universe, that the, the Justice League did come to help Superman, and Doomsday took them all out very easily. And so if the Justice League were not able to stop Doomsday, you know, what could Wonder Woman or Captain Marvel or, or any of the others do? And, and uh, I get it, but I would, I, would, I would like to see them address that. And, I, and again, I don't remember if they do. Another thing I want to point out about this uh, double page spread is that in the crowd of onlookers that are watching as this funeral procession walks by, John McDonough has included all of the creative teams across all four books. I mean, we have Louise Simonson, Mike Carlin, Dan Jurgens, Jerry Ordway, Brett Breeding, Roger Stern, Jennifer Frank, who was the assistant editor, Jackson Geis, Dennis Janke, uh, both John and Judy McDonough with their son, Kal-El, which I think is kind of cool. And we even see Louise Simonson's husband, Walter Simonson, who you probably know from his great run on Thor in the 80s, among other great books. But they're all in the crowd. I think that's really cool. I had no idea when I was reading this at the time. It wasn't until I got the DVD of the Superman Doomsday direct to DVD animated movie that came out a number of years ago. I know they've done a new one, uh, a two-part, Death of Superman and Reign of the Superman uh, movies, which I do plan on hopefully during one of the off weeks talking about the death of Superman story in other forms of media, such as the novel, the two mo the, the movies, 
And there was a really awesome uh, audio drama put together by uh, Dirk Mags and the BBC, which uh, I owned and uh, on audio cassette back in the 90s. And I wore that sucker out. But we'll talk about that stuff later. I only bring it up here uh, because one of the bonus features on the Superman Doomsday DVD is a uh, documentary called Requiem and Rebirth uh, Lives, I think. and. Uh, it's all about this storyline and it, they, they talk to the various creators and you can actually watch it now on YouTube. I'll put the link in the show notes. And it's only through that, that I learned that all these uh, creators and whatnot were in the crowd. I think, I think that's pretty cool. And it helps me remember, you know, one of the things I really haven't talked about so far in this crossover event is that, you know, it's called the death and return of Superman. That's really kind of the full title. Most people just refer to it as the death of Superman. And, you know, the problem with shortening it like that is, is like when I, when I tell people, yeah, I'm doing a a podcast about the death of Superman. Many folks, their first question is, is is it just the story to the point where he dies? Or are you doing the whole thing with the return? I said, I'm doing the whole thing, but I bring that up because really when it comes to the death of Superman, Everything leading up to Superman number 75, that's not really the story that we're talking about here. That is an event. That is a, uh, what's the, what's the phrase I'm thinking of? There's a, uh, a podcast I used to listen to about writing and they would call, uh, there, there, you always have to have a moment in your story. You need to have it. Uh, you need to try to put it right up front and it's the, it's the moment that hooks the reader. Uh, and I can't remember what they would call it. The, um, I, I don't know, but it's, it's the device that drives the rest of the story. And so really the story here is not Superman dying. It's what is the world like? What's, you know, what is the DC universe going to be like without Superman? That's the story that we're really exploring here. That's why the whole death aspect, that whole part of it is like what five issues. It's the first we're, we're in week, we're in week nine of what really is a, a 39 if if I've mapped out the entire first season here of just another fanboy presents which will be solely dedicated to the death and return of superman epic crossover storyline event it will be 39 episodes some of those episodes have more than one issue because during that week each episode represents a week 30 years ago that the issues were released. So some of those weeks have more than one issue. So we're talking more than 40 issues worth of story and the death of Superman occurs in the sixth issue into the, into the whole crossover event. So yeah, the death of Superman really in essence, despite what it's, you know, that it's commonly known as the entire story. It's, 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 it's not the story. It's, it's the aftermath. It's, how does the, how does the DC universe deal with a world uh, that no longer has Superman? And that's where we're at right now. We're we're just at the at the opening notes of this big story, and I'm super excited to keep getting further and further in. Now, as the uh, procession is moving along, we get moments in this issue where we focus on various people in the crowd who are. Uh, remembering Superman and what it is that he has done for them in the past. And some of the references that we get here are from actual events from the comics. Like uh, they 
a couple of times the name Cerberus is brought up and uh, the events from the Panic in the Sky event that, from what I understand, uh, before the death of Superman was a fairly big, it was the big Superman event uh, at the time that it came out. And that happened between the John Byrne era and the death of Superman. And as I'm reading through this issue and we're meeting these characters and they're talking about these things, you know, from uh, Superman saving them during the panic in the sky or stuff like Superman pulled me out of a, a building that was collapsing. I, I can't help but wonder because I I mentioned it before. I started Superman with the John Byrne era when it was rebooted after Crisis on Infinite Earths. And, but at some point, eh, I don't know why I did that. Eh, some point in there, I stopped uh, because I wasn't buying the comics. My older brother was. And if I stopped reading them, it's because he stopped buying them. And then so when I started buying the comic books myself, it was very close to when the the death of Superman would start. And the death of Superman is what pretty much brought me back to Superman and DC Comics in general. So everything between like midway through the John Byrne era uh, up to Man of Steel issue number 18, I've never read. And going through this this issue, especially where they have made all these references to past stories and hearing other folks, you know, seeing other folks on Twitter talking about Panic in the Sky. Uh, John Reed's comics, for example, who does the uh, Superman in Crisis podcast, who's reading every Superman comic. Uh, well, he has read every Superman comic pre-crisis up through Crisis on Infinite Earths. And now he's in. The Triangle Era. I think I think he was the one who was talking about Panic in the Sky, and I realized I've got to read that stuff. So uh, I will be doing that. Um, I don't know at this point if I'm going to be podcasting about it. I feel like I should, but I don't know. I, it's not the point. The point is to read it because I need to read it because I never have. And as I'm reading this issue, and they're they're these characters are talking about these moments, I can't help but wonder: uh, Are these while these events they're talking about happened in previous issues? Are these characters that were th th these characters that we're seeing in the in the crowd were they in those issues that these events happened in? In you know are, are we for those folks who have read all these leading up to the death of Superman as as they were reading this issue are are they recognizing these people? You know it's that's that's something that I that I'm very interested in. Um, last week, uh, if you listen to the Superman Super Show, uh, you know that every few weeks, Ed and I, my co-host, we get together and we record our episodes, uh, you know, three or four at a time and we live stream it as we are recording it. Well, recently we got together to record, I want to say episodes 31, 32, 33, and 34. And at some point in there, if you, if you go watch the video, which is, uh, you know, the, they're out there the Superman Super Show live videos that's out on the Superman Super Show YouTube channel. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, at one point, Ed refers to uh, continuity in comics as his reward for reading the books. And we got to talking about that for a bit. And it's these moments that um, I equated his comment to. Let me explain. So let's pretend for a moment that I have read all these past books, everything from the Triangle Era, everything from Panic in the Sky, whatever this Cerberus thing is they're talking about. And let's pretend, since I don't know, 
that these characters that we're seeing watching the funeral procession, let's pretend that these are characters that did make an appearance during these events, Cerberus and, and Panic in the Sky. So if I had read all that and I had come across these characters then, and then I get to this issue and suddenly these characters are back making reference to events that happened to them that I read about a year earlier, you know, knowing that you don't have to have read that stuff to understand this point in the story, because I've never read that stuff. And I can read this and hear these characters talking about these events, and it doesn't lessen the impact of the story at all. I'm not scratching my head going, oh man, I wish I knew what they were talking about. This makes no sense to me. None of that is happening here. I can follow the story just fine, but had I read all that and had these been characters from that point in time that are that are now talking about those events in this issue, that makes that moment more special for me, if that makes any sense. You know, I think when Ed and I were talking about it, I equated it to whenever I've watched some of the Marvel movies with my wife. Um we're four or five movies in or something, and I'll and I'll point at a character and I go, Do you recognize that guy? And she's like, what guy? The guy there sitting at the computer, typing in. He just said, uh, uh, the, he, he had that one line, his only, his only line in the movie. And she's like, yeah, I guess he was in the other movie, like six movies ago. And she'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it didn't, you know, it, 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 she didn't care because it doesn't have any effect on the story. But for those of us who love that kind of stuff, who love the continuity, who, who, who love, you know, they could have put anybody in that chair. But the fact that they used somebody from three movies previously who had been in the chair before for, for one line that has no effect on the story at all makes people like me watching that going, oh, that's the guy. That's so cool. That's what Ed means about continuity being his reward for reading those books. And I'm spending a lot of time on this, but I, that, that one section of this book can't help but make me wonder if this would have been one of those moments for me. And, uh, you know, I want to say that now I'm filled with sadness and regret, but that's not the case, but it does make me, uh, it, it, it encourages me to, uh, go back and, and read all that stuff again. That's all I'm trying to say. All right. So next is probably the, uh, oddest, weirdest, strangest interlude in this entire storyline. And that's when we suddenly cut to a bar in space where Lobo has just learned that Superman has died and he is extremely angry about it. And the fact that right in the middle of this issue that is all about the funeral, we get a page, three panels really, featuring Lobo at all his glorious Lobo-ness killing patrons in this space bar because he's he he's angry uh from hearing this news because he didn't get a piece of him having this included in the story uh is probably one of the reasons why i uh, you know i just i love louise simonson this this issue um i was gonna wait till the end to talk about how much i've enjoyed this issue because a couple of episodes ago, I think I talked about Funeral for a Friend 
and my memory of it be, being a slog and and maybe it will maybe there's a, a point at some uh, you know at some point between this issue and when the reign of the supermen begins where where it is going to feel a bit slow i i don't know i i, I said i was going to stop talking about what i remember and focus only on what i am currently reading uh but i think about this issue and i compare it i i, I mean i just can't help but compare it to the Justice League America number 70, which came out the, the same week as Superman 75. It's the, the, the first issue you get directly after Superman dies. And I, you know, I made no secret in that episode that I did not enjoy that issue. I didn't think it was put together very well. It didn't really handle, as far as I was concerned, the way the heroes we're dealing with the death of Superman. I just thought it was too much or, or Dan Jurgens trying to do too much with not a lot of space to do it. And I'm not going to blame Dan Jurgens for that necessarily, or, or at least I'm not trying to bag on Dan Jurgens. I enjoy a lot of what he produces. And in fact, Justice League 69, the one that came right before that, uh, really enjoyed that issue. I liked the way it was set up. I like the, uh, the idea of the 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 almost a, a framing device with Superman and his interview with the TV station at the top of each page, while the the battle between the Justice League and Doomsday took up the rest of the page. I, I like that. I like that issue. But if I'm comparing post death issues in regard to how those that focus on how uh, people whether they be superheroes or just the community in general, how they're dealing with Superman's death. Issue 20 here of Man of Steel, I think, is, is knocking it out of the park. And uh, to have suddenly <laughs> Lobo show up in the middle of it for one page, I don't know. I, I feel like I should just not like that and be angry about that showing up in this, issue, this, uh, this uh, I I I issue. I don't know why I'm stuttering, but uh, Wicca Wicca issue. I, uh, I love it. I just, you know, it was such a, just this drop of uh, over the top nonsensical silliness right in the middle of a, a, a very serious, deep, uh, sad story. And uh, I got to give it to Louise Simonson for, for doing that. And what's, I think, a bit more funny is when I read this just the other day, I immediately thought that Lobo was angry. I thought we were going to learn by the end of this page that Lobo is angry because deep down he harbored a very deep respect for Superman and that he was going to, this little interlude was going to end with him vowing to find whoever killed Superman and, and kill them himself. And, and, uh, you know, instead we get that he just is angry that he didn't get a piece of Superman, which is more in tune with who Lobo is. My my uh my small bit of hope there as I was reading it really doesn't make a lot of sense for Lobo's character and I I do remember thinking the same thing as I'm reading it the other day I uh had a sense of déjà vu. I remember thinking the same thing the first time I read it and it's funny cuz then when I compare it to Justice League 70 there is that moment in Ju in Justice League 70 where Guy Gardner we get that moment where you know, Guy Gardner, he's the tough guy. He's the rebel. He's the the almost anti-hero of that book uh, who is always bagging on Superman and Superman's a dork and he's good to do shoes and little 
the, the big blue boy scout and all that. But then we find that, no, he's har- always harbored a deep respect for Superman. And when I came across that in that Justice League issue, I just kind of went, whatever, wah, wah, wah. That was pretty lame. But I was almost just as a... <laughs> wow. I was almost just as disappointed when it didn't happen with Lobo. So I didn't want to uh, let the episode finish without mentioning that. All right. Uh, as far as the rest of this issue, uh, Batman patrolling the city and the crowd rather than marching with the others in the procession is uh, just spot on Batman. Loved it. The scene with Bibbo, where he encounters the guy outside the Ace of Clubs selling the the Superman merchandise to try to cash in on Superman's death and uh, Bibbo's first reaction to that. And then how we find out that uh, it's, you know, this guy is homeless that, that Superman had at one point saved him and his family from a burning building. But because the building burned, he, uh, he, he and his family are homeless and he's just trying to raise some money. This is the only thing he can do to try to put some food on the table. And, you know, immediately Bibbo, uh, helps the guy out, buys all of his stuff, gives him, you know, offers him a job at the, uh, at his club, at his bar. And, uh, I just, I just love that, that character. Bibbo is a great character and it's, and it's a really nice, you know, it's, again, it's one of those things that as soon as this guy showed up and he's out there selling the black armbands and copies of the the newspaper with a headline of Superman, you know, it, it's almost like everything that this guy was selling, he had a, he had a big, uh, clear plastic bag with all the stuff in it. Most of what he was selling was the same kind of stuff that you got in the polybagged version of Superman 75, which is, is kind of a funny commentary on, uh, what DC was doing and cashing in on, uh, the, uh, the idea that Superman died. And then, you know, when he shows up doing that and Bibbo immediately is, is angry, you almost expect that. All right. So here's a, here's a, a, a sleazy dude and Bibbo is going to beat him up and we're going to be like, yay, beating up the sleazy guy who's cashing in on Superman's death. And then they give it that little twist. And I love it. Again, Louise Simonson is knocking it out on the park, knocking it out on the park. What was, what does that mean? Knocking it out of the park with this issue. Um, the last thing I want to talk about in this issue is the ending. I really had a hard time reading this ending without feeling something without, a. Uh, almost being uh, brought to tears. It was really hard for me to read. And I think about reading issue 75, Superman dies and Lois is holding him and he's, you know, lifeless in her arms and tears are running down her face and everyone's standing around and they're so sad and crying. And that didn't touch my heart in any way. I just didn't, didn't do anything for me. Didn't feel sad. And yet I get to the ending of this book and tears are forming in my eyes and I'm, you know, getting choked up reading it. And I, I, I realize that while this is a, a, a fictional story about fictional characters, Superman dying was not it didn't it wasn't real to me. It didn't feel like a, a, a real thing. It's not it's not a real moment. It's not something that would would really happen. Uh, and knowing, of course, even then, knowing in my heart that Superman would come back. You know, it didn't really affect me that he died because I didn't feel any kind of loss. I knew he was coming back. But watching his parents and the the love of his life 
having to try and deal with that loss. Um, Lois finally reaching out to Jonathan and Martha and, you know, confessing her guilt, how she feels guilty, how she feels responsible and learning that this is why she has been putting off calling Jonathan and Martha that she has been carrying this guilt and she uh, just assumed that they would be uh, just as angry at her as she is with herself and that they would blame her just like she's blaming herself. And instead, without really giving it any thought, Martha tells Lois that they're on their way. Hold on. We're coming. We'll be there soon. And that, to me, that's a real moment. That, you know, that stuff happens every day in real life. People have to deal with loss and they have other people around them that will uh, selflessly put their lives on hold and put their own grieving on hold to support each other. And uh, yeah, that was a real moment in this book for me. And it's why so far in this series, this is the book, this issue, Man of Steel, or the full title, Superman, Man of Steel, issue number 20, released today, 30 years ago, is my uh, favorite of, the, of, of any of the issues that have come out so far in the nine weeks in this event. And uh, I hope to, uh, it's never going to happen. I hope to meet Louise Simonson one day. It's never going to happen because I don't go to conventions or go anywhere anymore. But if I, you know, if I were to ever meet her, I would most certainly uh, thank her for this issue. And for, you know, it's, it's rare that I read a comic book and feel anything other than, you know, maybe excitement or just, oh, that was cool, you know? Look at look at how he hit that guy, or look at how she's kicking somebody, or or uh, look how awesome that costume is. You know, it's usually that's what I feel when I read a comic book, or 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 joy or laughter, right? Something silly or something that 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 strikes my funny bone. It's it's very rare that I feel any kind of other emotion beyond that sadness or anger. But uh, she made me she made me feel sad. She she brought the. Uh, beginnings of tears into the into the eyes and so you know somebody like that you need to tell people like that that uh something that they wrote something that they created affected you in a certain way and uh yeah this uh you know it's it's weird because i know that that uh i i felt somewhat the same way the last time i read this but the first time i read it of course uh i was a single dude i'm here i'm now here uh a uh, husband and a father. And so you read stuff like that a little bit differently. You read, you know, when you're uh, 20 years old and you're reading about an old couple whose son has died, it, yeah, whatever. You can't really, you can't really relate. But uh, once you're old and you have an adult son, you know, you can, you can relate. It's weird. So anyway, uh, that's about all I got when it comes to this issue. I do want to talk real quick, like we did last time. Uh, the final page of the issue that has the four boxes that tells us what's coming up in the next four weeks. So look at my, looking at my schedule, we actually will have uh, these four weeks coming as they're supposed to. There's no break. We don't get a break again. There's not a break in the run of these comics until uh, January and late January at that. So the next five weeks in a row, folks, 
So I don't know if I will actually take a break then, take that week off, or I'm or, or if I'm going to have uh, something that I want to talk about as a bonus episode. But let's go through the let's go through these four boxes next week. The heroes of the DC universe join together to keep Superman's holiday tradition alive in Metropolis Mailbag Two, while someone or something is breaking into Superman's tomb. Be here for Superman number 76, written and penciled by Dan Jurgens and inked by Brett Breeding. Uh, in two weeks, Supergirl and the SCU investigate the disappearance of Superman's body in Adventures of Superman number 499. That's uh, written by Jerry Ordway. Uh, Tom Grummet is the penciler and inks by Doug Hazelwood. And then in three weeks, Terrible Turpin, the world's toughest cop, takes on the underworld's roughest element to find out if they have Superman. The main event takes place in Action Comics number 686 by Roger Stern, Jackson Geis, and Dennis Rodier. And then in one month, the shock and strain that Jonathan Kent has been under proves too much for him. Will Martha be left completely alone? Find out in Man of Steel number 21 by Louise Simonson, John Bogdanov, and Dennis Janke. And I do want to point out I meant to say it, but in the the scene where they are burying uh, uh, Jonathan and Martha are burying that box of mementos from uh, Clark's childhood. Uh, after he covers the hole up with dirt, he's he's standing next to Martha. Jonathan Jonathan is standing there next to Martha, holding the the shovel in one hand, and he is gripping his arm with the other hand, uh, which can be a sign of a heart attack. That's all I'm going to say. That was the issue, folks. Superman, Man of Steel, number 20, my favorite so far in the nine weeks of this epic crossover event. So I want to thank everybody for listening to the episode today. If you have any feedback, you can send me an email, justanotherfanboy at gmail.com. I am obviously going to start looking in the spam folder every day to see if, if you know I'm actually getting stuff. It's just going into the spam folder. I don't know. Uh, if you don't want to take that chance, you can call the Just Another Fanboy voice line and you can leave a voicemail at 785-318-6673 or you can use the same number to send me a text. Just make sure that if you're sending me a text, let me know who you are. So when I use that uh, in a future episode to talk about feedback, I can attribute that feedback to you and not some anonymous person who sent me a text. You can also reach out to me on Twitter, hopefully, if it's still around. I mean, as I'm recording this, uh, you know, I'll open the curtain a little bit. It's um, the evening of November 18th as I am recording this episode. And uh, last night, it sounded like last night was the, <laughs> the last night that Twitter was was going to be a thing. Uh, it's still there today, and uh, it may still be there for another few weeks. We'll, we'll see. Uh, this episode here that I'm recording goes out in mid-December, December 15th. So uh, it'll be interesting. As I'm editing this, when we get closer to December 15th, if, if uh, Twitter is still out there. If it is, look me up. The handle is at Stephen or else. Uh, you can also come over to the forums, the message board, forum.justanotherfanboy.com. And you know what? If you feel inclined to throw a little support my way, you can join the Patreon for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash Stephen R. Or, and in return, I'm going to do my very best to get you podcast episodes just like this one before anybody else gets them. 
And I always feel I need to clarify here. When I say anybody else, I mean anybody but you and your fellow patrons. And uh, as far as trying to get them to you early, uh, I have been trying. I'm about a week ahead on many of these these episodes here. Uh, But by the time I get them edited, you're getting them about three or four days earlier than everybody else over on the Patreon. I also invite you to subscribe to the Stephen Says Stuff newsletter. This is a free Substack, despite any buttons that tell you to, to upgrade. This is a free Substack where I'm going to send you every podcast episode I create each and every week right to your inbox the morning that they are released. Beyond all of that, you know, I'd really like it. I'd love it. I would just freaking just feel good all over if you would go out there and rate and or review the show if that option is available wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, for example, uh, gives you the option to do both. But uh, if you rate it, the more ratings I get, then that allows, I guess, Apple Podcasts to see me. And it makes my <laughs> it makes the show uh, more searchable, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, all of the links that I just talked about and the email address, the phone number, all that is going to be listed in your show notes. So next week, we're going to be looking at Superman number 76 so make sure you join me right back here for that until then folks that's all i got so i guess i'm just gonna uh guess i'm just gonna say goodbye so uh yeah goodbye fart 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 In the meantime, Jonathan and Martha have taken a box containing the few mementos of Clark's childhood out into the field where the rocket that had carried Clark as baby Kal-El crashing down to Earth and buries the box in the very same crater that the crash had left behind. I'm going to try that one more time. In the meantime, Jonathan and Martha have taken... I'm going to take a drink. I'm going to take a drink. Everybody take a drink. Drink up, folks. I should clarify that is not alcohol. I am not a drinker of the alcohol. It never did agree with me. Back to the story. In the meantime, Jonathan and Martha have taken a box containing the few mementos of Clark's childhood out into the field where the rocket that had carried Clark as baby Kal-El had come crashing down to Earth. And they buried the box in the very same place.